Though I never made All-Stars, I loved baseball the entire time I was growing up. I enjoyed it. In fact, I want to give you a little bit of, of my history. Uh, guys are going to be passing out to you a gift from uh, my vintage collection baseball cards. I've got so many, I can give you as many as you want. All right, I've been collecting uh, I collected them for about three years, spent all of my allowance, plus any that I could find, scrap money laying around in the cushions or whatever, I spent it all on this. My mother thought it was my retirement I was saving for, and now I'm giving all my money away to you, three cents each card. Uh, but anyway, this is just a bit of my past. It's one of those things I want you to hold on to that card. I'm going to explain it to you in a little bit, but uh, you don't need to take time to go through and find the one you want. I've taken all the good money ones out. But uh, anyway, I, I played baseball, I enjoyed it, but I was never really good at it, I, but I've watched it, and I've watched it, and I've watched it all my life, and I'll tell you this, this is one thing I do know about baseball, baseball is boring to watch, I don't know about you, but it is, it, baseball is meant to be active and not passive, uh, I mean, it's, it's boring, watching guys adjust themselves, watching them spit, do things like that. I mean, it's just not that much fun. Every time they got to, every pitch, they got to step back out of the box and they got to do it all over again. They got their routines. They're so, it's, it's just kind of crazy. But it was never meant to be watched. It was meant to be played. It was meant to be active and not a passive thing. And now, the only time I think it's maybe as a little tolerable to watch is if you've got a great big bucket of nachos and a great big Coke, and, and you're sitting there, and then you go back maybe at seventh inning stretch and get a, a funnel dog. I've heard one of those at the natural games. I've never had one of those, but I hear they're really good. And you go back, and I judge how good a stadium is, not on its seating or on the team, but on the food. And so I don't know what it is about the food. I, I do like the food element of watching a game. But here's another thing I've realized about life, and that the Christian life is also boring to watch. It was never meant to be watched. It was always an active, engaging, not a passive element to life. And whenever it becomes boring, it probably means that I'm not a part of it. Probably means that I have become a spectator to it. Probably means that I have made it something it was never intended to be from the beginning of time. Now, throughout the rest of this message, you're going to hear me talk a lot about baseball and the game and how the game relates. And, and I'm kind of doing a, a, a parable, if you will, like Jesus taught so often in parables. I want to kind of, you know, Jesus did it. I think I can do it. Maybe that's not near as good. But anyway, I'm going to take from Jesus. And he taught with a parable. I want to teach with a parable today. And every time you think of me, hear, hear me say the game, I'm talking about your Christian faith. 
I'm talking about the Christian faith. Not only is your Christian faith or not, but it, are you in the game? Are you watching the game? Are you ignoring the game? Now, at our house, if you, and again, I'm going to switch back and forth, but I think you'll, you'll be able to keep up with me. When you are at the McDaniel house and you walk in and the kids hear the game in the other room, they know to keep on walking. They're ignoring the game, all right? Unless I, I do have one that will sit down and watch a game with me for an inning or two. But uh, the rest of them, they just keep on walking. They're ignoring the game, all right? Now, are you ignoring the Christian faith? Are you watching the Christian faith? But, you know, like I'm doing as I'm sitting on the couch with my nachos and all that kind of stuff. Or am I playing the game? But even, here's a bigger question. Am I in it to win it? Am I in this game, Christian faith again now, back on. Am I in the game to win it? Or am I really just a spectator? Now think about the different levels of intensity and involvement and investment that you can have in the game of baseball. Throw this little uh, matrix up on the screen. Because really, if you think about it, there's the intensity level and then there's the investment level. And depending on where you are, if you're hanging out at the concession stand, you have the lowest investment and you have the lowest intensity. All right? You're there for the eats. All right? And the eats are good. And you're there for those, all right? And you're spending a lot of money doing that. Now, if you're in the bleachers, you have a, you have a lot of investment because tickets cost money, but you really don't have a lot of intensity. Now, you could be one of those crazy fans and yelling a lot and fussing a lot, but really, your investment may be higher, but your intensity isn't there because you're not out sweating and, and all that kind of stuff. But then you go on, okay, so you're in the game. Uh, so then now you're, you, you know, you've got a little higher intensity and you do have... You do have an investment in the game. I think about, I helped coach Little League, uh, our Cal Ripken League this, this year with my uh, youngest boy. And I can remember in one of the games, and I won't mention the kid's name, but I remember one of the games that there was our right fielder, and he was out in right field, and he had his glove off. The game was in progress. He had his glove off, and he was talking to people on the other side of the fence. Now, was he in the game? Absolutely. He had the uniform on. He had a glove. He didn't have a glove on. But he was in the game, all right, so to speak. But was he on his game? Not at all. When you're on your game, you're, 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 you're in there. You're chattering. You're talking to your team. You're up on the fence. You, you are totally in the game. You know what the count is. You know where you're going to go with the ball hits to you. That person is in the game, and they're on their game. There's a totally different... At that point, you want to be to the furthest right and, and up and to the right. Highest level of investment, highest level of intensity. Let's bring it back to your Christian faith. Where are you? Are you the person in the concession, at the concession stand? Totally checked out of the game. Now, you may be in the ballpark in the same zip code as the game, but you're really not in the game. Where are you? Because I really think that, that God wants us, and Paul demonstrates for us, and the writers throughout the Scripture demonstrate for us, they want us not just in the game, they want us on the game. On your game, totally engaged. And if you look at Paul's writings alone, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, he says, I discipline my body like an athlete. Now, I know that Paul loves sports because you find the sports narrative or metaphor throughout of his writings, all right? So he was a sports fanatic. But in that, he says, I discipline my body as an athlete. And in fact, one translation says, NIV translation says, I beat my body into subjection. You know, when I go to the gym and I do one of these intense workouts, 
I feel like I'm having to beat my body into subjection. All right, because my body is hemorrhaging, saying stop, stop, stop. But I, I need to keep pushing, pushing, pushing. Well, guess what? That is what it means in the Christian faith as well. I beat my body into subjection. I discipline myself. Now, also, Paul said in the same chapter, in the same book, he said this. He said, he says, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs? Everyone's on the field. They may be in right field with their glove off talking to the people. Say, okay, they're in the game. All right, everybody runs. But only one person gets the prize. So run to win. You hear it in Paul's voice. Be in it to win it. Be in the game as if you're going to beat your body, as if you're going to discipline yourself, as if you're going to do whatever it takes to win. If you're the only person to win, you be that level of it. That's intensity. That's involvement. And that's what we're talking about when we're talking about the Christian faith. But the sad reality is, is across this land today, there will be 20, 40,000 people filling up individual stadiums watching baseball this afternoon. And there will be 18 players on the field playing. The reality is in the church, and the reality is in the Christian circles, is that most people are in the stands watching it or hanging out at the concessions and they're not actually in the game. And Jesus says this in John chapter 15. Be finding John 15. We'll be there in a moment. He said this. He says, prove to be my disciple. Prove it. Show me. Show the world. Annie up. Put the glove on. Get in the game. Get in your game. What is it? He's telling you, I like Tommy Lasorda. He was one of the coaches around when I used to collect baseball cards and he, he said this, he said, there are three types of baseball players. Those who make it happen, those who watch it happen, and those who wonder what happens. I think the same thing about those who are Christians or who call themselves Christians. There are those who are all-stars, and there are those who don't have a clue. They really, really don't have a clue. And there may be more of those who really don't have a clue of what it takes to make it happen than there are those who are making it happen. You know, I want to give you four classifications. These are my classifications. You might come for your own, but these are classifications of the way I see Christianized people across our land, okay? Maybe across the world, but at least across America. You say these four classifications. I mean, one, there are seekers that are out there. This room has seekers in it right now. Legitimate seekers who have been longing for something of substance who've been longing for a relationship with God. They've, they've tried Zen Buddhism. They've, they've, tried, they've, they've tried Mormonism. They've, they've tried different faiths out there. And every time they come up dry and empty. And they're truly seekers. And, and I admire the seekers. All right? I admire them that are out there. There's the notionals. The notionals are those that, you know, if you fill out a survey and you ask me what I am, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tick. Christian, all right? I'm going to check it. Because if I'm anything, I'm a Christian, okay? I, I'm not a Muslim. I'm not a Buddhist. I'm, I'm not some of those other faiths out there, okay? I, I'm a Christian. So if you make me do this, but really, they, they wouldn't know the difference between Adam or Eve. Hopefully they would, but they, they wouldn't know the difference. They, they, they don't know the difference between Old Testament and New Testament. I'm not knocking them. I'm, 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 we all have a beginning point, but they never get past beginning, all right? It's just the notion 
that they're that, that they're there. All right, then then there's the then there's the nominals. The nominals, okay, they have crossed the line. They they have they have put on the jersey. They may be standing in right field, and their gloves off, and they're talking to people on the side. But hey, they're in the game. They show up for practice. They, they're, they're they're somewhat engaged. Okay, Th- those are the nominals. But I really think what God is calling us to are to be the abiders. Now you're going to find out what we're going to abide to in a moment. It's not just to abide to a bunch of rules and regulations. In fact, it's not that at all. In fact, it's so much more. It's more. It's deeper than that. But let's go back to the movie, Moneyball. Because as you saw the movie clip there and how it opened, and you saw how you have New York against the uh, Oakland A's, and Oakland A's have a $40 million budget, and the Yankees have a $125 million budget, and yet they're both playing each other. And really, the game is not about money. It, that's kind of how it starts. It, it's kind of like you got more money than we've got. That's why you always win. You get our good players and all that kind of stuff. But what Brad Pitt or, or, or Billy Bean has to learn to do is they have to learn to play without the money. You see, it doesn't become about the money. The money didn't make the difference. It was the players that made the difference. And it ends up making a difference so, so much so that the guy who originally came up with this new idea of looking at, at baseball, a, build, a guy by the name of Bill James, actually Time Magazine uh, listed in 2006, him among... The hundred, uh, excuse me, among the uh, top most hundred influential people in the world. His, his new paradigm, if you will, of baseball. And this is what I want to say to all of us in this room today. I want us to take our Christian paradigm, and I really want us to take it for a moment, and I want us to just throw it away. I want us to break it up. I want us to move away from it. And I, and I want us to just rethink about it for a moment. The paradigm that I've been operating, the, the most of the Christians that are out there, the 40,000 that are in the stands this afternoon at, at baseball stadiums, and, and everything like that, the, the, those people, I don't want to think it like them. I want to think about what it really means to be in the game with all my intents. I want to be a part of a game in a very serious fashion. And so this new philosophy that Billy Bean introduces to the Oakland A's made a difference in the, in the team. He had to try it. He had to buck against the system. He had to, he had to carve out a new, a new way. And I'll tell you what, the old way and the old guard, they didn't like it. And so I want to watch, let you watch uh, just one scene uh, of, the, of the movie. And I want you to get an idea because after 2001 and losing to the Yankees, which we just saw, he comes into 2002 and he wants a different team. And he sits down with the same old scouts who are doing business the same old way. And this is what I want to pose to you today. We've got to quit doing Christianity the same old way. We've got to look for a new way. Not new invent it, but a new, more biblical way. Look at what this scene and how it unfolds here. A baseball body. Matty, who do you got? I like Geronimo. Yes. Hey, guy's an athlete, big, fast, talented. Top of my list. Clean cut, good face. Yeah, good job. Five tools guy. Good looking ball player. Can he hit? Yeah, he's got a beautiful swing, right, Barry? The ball explodes off his back. He throws the club head at the ball, and when he connects, it, he drives it. It pops off the bat. You can hear it all over the ballpark. A lot of pop coming off the bat. If he's a good hitter, why doesn't he hit good? 
He is a good hitter. Minor leaguer. He'll be, he'll be ready. Yeah, so he's going to be a good hitter when we put him up against big league guards. Could be a great hitter. I don't think so. This kid this needs some at-bats. You give him 400 at-bats, he's going to get better. He can play. He's hit everywhere along the line. One of our guys. Okay, let's move on. Artie, who do you like? I, I like Perez. He's uh, got a classic swing. He's real clean stroke. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Can't hit the curveball. Well, there's some work to be done, I'll admit that. Yeah, but there is. Uh, he's noticeable. Got an ugly girlfriend. What's that mean? Ugly girlfriend means no confidence. Okay. Oh, no, you guys are full of it. Artie is right. This guy's got an attitude. An attitude is good. He's got the looks. He's ready to play the part. He just needs to get some playing time. I'm just saying. His girlfriend is a six at best. Look, if we're trying to replace Giambi, this guy could be it. I agree with you. Was that a suggestion? Guys are just talking. Talking la 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 like this is business as usual. It's not. We're trying to solve the problem here, Billy. Not like this, you're not. You're not even looking at the problem. Well, we're very aware of the problem. I mean... Okay, good. What's the problem? Look, Billy. We all understand what the problem is. We have to okay, replace... Okay, good. What's the problem? The problem is we have to replace three key players in our nope. lineup. What's the problem? Same as it's ever been. We've got to replace these guys with what we have existing. No. Nope. What's the problem, Barry? We need... 38 home runs, 120 RBIs, and 47 doubles to replace. When you can't even define what the problem is, there's a big problem. And, and I'm afraid that so many people in, in our faith have seen such a generic, watered-down, vanilla faith modeled for them from generations, seen from church to church, that they really don't even know what it means to be on your game, in the game. I, I really think that we've just had such a muddled up form of Christianity that, 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 if, you, that if, if the real Christianity walked in the room, we'd call it radical until it's a leaf. And so what I think we have to do is we need to go back and we need to just kind of unpack and figure out a new scorecard as, as Brad Pitt or Billy Bean is, is trying to do in this movie. What is a true scorecard of a Christ follower? What does it mean to be a Christ follower? Let's look at our passage in John chapter 15. I think we'll get a good idea as Jesus is giving us his, one of his farewell speak. From John 13 to John 16 is kind of what people have called his farewell discourse. And he goes through this allegory of, of kind of unpacking the, uh, the vine and the, and the vine dresser and the, and the fruit. He doesn't use a baseball metaphor. I'm convinced he would if he, if he could have. But, uh, but he uses a vine and a vine dresser, and he uses this metaphor. So just hang with me on this as we, as we go. Verse 15, uh, chapter 15, verse 1, it says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless, the, uh, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. 
For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches gather, uh, gather are thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciple. There it is, prove to be my disciple. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I want us to to ask the question tonight, today. What is the scorecard of a Christ follower? What does it mean? What does it take? What does it look like to be a Christ follower? And there's three things that I see that make, make up, that I think help answer the question of whether or not I'm in the game or I'm at the concession stand. I'm really on my game or I'm sitting in the bleachers. And I think if we can kind of answer these questions to ourselves, it could be self-revealing. One question to ask yourself, am I connecting? Am I connecting? All right, very big question that you need to ask. Am I connecting? Not am I religious? Not am I baptized? Not do I have a church membership? Am I connecting? Because what he talks about in chapter 15, he doesn't talk anything about some institutional church. He doesn't talk anything about a a body life group. He doesn't talk anything about, about any of the structure that we think of when we think. He talks about abiding in him, connecting to him. He talks about a relationship. Now, what comes with that, how we can help that, the, the, the peripheral, the children's ministries, the day camps, all that kind of stuff can help you in your abiding. But really when it comes down to it, are you abiding? Are you connecting? In verse 4, he, he, he really defines what that means and what that looks like. He says, you're, uh, he says, you're abiding in me and I'm in you. Underscore that if you have your Bibles open. Abiding in me and I in you. You, you see the real connectivity of that? That there is a relationship that he's talking of here. I'm in you and you're in me and you're in me and I'm in you. And there's this, there's this real bond that happens. That's what he means by abiding. Now, I'm, I am so afraid that our Christianity has become so much about religion, so much about some institutional faith, that we have lost the connectivity with God. We've lost that abiding relationship of what that means for Him to be in me and I in Him. Because if you read the rest of the New Testament after the Gospels, you're going to find one common phrase that you'll find throughout the New Testament. It appears 230 different times throughout the remainder of the New Testament at the Gospels, and that is the statement, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And I have to believe, as I study the New Testament, that I believe that it is an ongoing thing that, that, that Paul and Peter and the writers of the New Testament really pick up and they go with here, is that they talk about this idea of abiding in Christ, Christ being in you, you being in Christ, and he sums it up in two 
two words, in Christ. I come back to you again. I don't ask you if you're a church member. I'm not going to ask you if you've been baptized. I'm not going to ask you if you've been Christian, circumcised, or any other thing been done to you. I'm going to ask you, are you connected? Are you connecting with Jesus Christ? Is He in you and you in Him? And you're in Him. That's what it means to follow Christ. He, he uses the word abide ten different times in 11 verses that we just read. Now, if you don't get it, that means it's pretty important to Jesus here. It's a central theme that's going on here. It is that being element. And so much of what we've made Christianity is a doing element or a membership element or institutional element. And it starts not with some institutional connection. Not just because you prayed with the pastor. Not just because you have gone to some seminary. Not because you have some degree. Not because you have an official position in the church. Some, no, it comes down to a relationship connecting with God Almighty. I've really thought all week long about some kind of relationship that I can, I can point to. Maybe it's a marriage, or maybe it's a, a father and a son, or maybe it's a mother and a daughter, or maybe it's... I thought of so many different relationships, but every time I thought of a relationship, I thought of a polluted relationship. A husband cheating on a wife, or a wife leaving her husband for another man, or I thought of a, an abusive, uh, angry father, or I thought of a mother who was disconnected. And I thought, you know, if I give an example of a relationship, what may conjure up in your mind are not feelings of warmth and connection, but distance. And absence. And what I want you to know, and what Jesus wants with you and He wants with me, He wants to abide. He wants you to abide in Him and, and He in you. He wants that relationship that is not distorted, not polluted. I would, I would say abiding would be maybe defined something like this. A God-initiated mutual love relationship that is real. That is personal. That is that is that is dynamic. That is authentic. And all these verses in there, verse four, verse two times in verse four, verse five, verse six, verse seven, verse nine, verse ten, all these times that he talks about abide in me, abide in me, abide in me. That's all to bring us back to a relationship that he's initiating with us. That is real, that is personal, that is growing. What, do you, what happens in a relationship with Jesus Christ? What does it look like? What's a healthy relationship? Whether it's a marriage relationship or a father-son-daughter relationship, or what, what's, a healthy relationship, what's a healthy relationship with God look like? Okay, I can tell you a lot of things it doesn't look like, but let me just give you three positive marks of a healthy relationship. Hopefully a healthy relationship with you and God, okay? One is that it looks out for the interest of the other first and foremost. First on my plate is the health and the welfare of my own family. More than mine. I will sacrifice everything I want, everything I think, everything I desire for my family. That's a healthy relationship. Jesus Christ sacrificed everything He could so that He could be in relationship with you. But remember, abiding is not just Him with you. It's you with Him. Verse 4, we just read it. He's in you and you're in Him. So therefore, that mutuality has to come back. It's that mutual relationship where I'm now giving everything I can to Him. All that I am, everything, first and foremost, a healthy relationship breathes life into life. 
It breathes life into life. It's not draining. It's not taxing. It's not manipulative. It's not toxic. It's not codependent. It is a healthy life-to-life, life-giving life relationship. Again, apply it to your marriage, but also apply it to your relationship with Jesus Christ. Is that the kind of life that you have? Number two, or number three, is it's balanced and congruent. All right, it's a healthy balance in the, in the relationship. I know my role, he, God knows his role, obviously he's God. I, I'm not trying to be God and he's obviously not trying to be Mike McDaniel. But the problem is, is that whenever I try to be God and try to become my own master, no, it all messes up. Then, then there's no longer this abiding mutuality happening now in our relationship. Now it begins to become fragmented. Lloyd John Oglesby, chaplain of the U.S. Senate, said it like this, without God... We can't. Without us, He won't. Ponder that one for a while. The mutuality of our relationship is that He wants you. He has, He didn't have to, He chose you to be a part of His paradigm, to be a part of it, the big picture. Now, we can't do anything without Him. That makes it very clear in here. But He wants to do so much through us that happens in an abiding relationship. That happens when I'm connected. Number two question to ask yourself, am I producing? Alright, if you're a baseball player and you're not connecting with the ball, then you're not going to be producing runs. There is a connection, a correlation here. The first one, whenever you're connecting, you're being, alright, is that abiding. I'm in Christ and Christ is in me. It's just, it's happening, okay? I'm being that. But out of that is a producing lifestyle. Out of that becomes fruit. Out of that I prove that I'm a disciple. We just read that in verse 8. Where's the proof that I am a follower of Christ? How is is He being produced in me? If I go to the seventh game of the World Series and I'm with my bucket of nachos and I'm watching the game and I'm yelling for my team and I'm even wearing the colors and I'm setting in the bleachers, and they win the World Series. Do I qualify to get the ring? No. I don't get the ring and I don't get the money and I don't get any of that. I get, I get the souvenir. I get the story. I get to tell the story of what happened on the field. I don't want to tell the story of what happened on the field. I want to be on the field. I don't want to be on the field with a glove off talking to the people in the stands. I want to be on the field. I want to be making the plays. I want to be there. I want to have a Christian faith that's producing. And when I get to heaven, there's going to be lives that have been impacted. There's going to be lives that have been changed. There's going, to be, there's going to be this tremendous influx because the life well lived. Thank you, Mike. Hopefully that, got, hopefully that will be said of Mike McDaniel. In fact, God wants you producing. In fact, you go in your own time and you just circle every time you see the word bear fruit, bear fruit in verse 2. He mentions it twice. Verse 3, he mentions it once. Verse... Uh, uh, verse four, he mentions it. Uh, he mentions it again. He mentions it again in verse five. He mentions it again down in verse eight. All the way through here, again and again and again, he's talking about us bearing fruit, us producing as followers of Christ. What are you producing? If you were, if you're bearing fruit, and a fruit inspector inspected your life, what would he find? I hope there's something there. I hope that there's there's a lot there. Fruit that remains, literally Jesus talks about that. Now how how is it that I 
that I go into this world and, and Christ is in me and I'm in Christ and there's this relationship dynamic going on. But from that being, I become a doer of the Word, as James talks about. And, and that, that being turns to doing and I start producing. How does that happen? Well, I want to give you a couple of antinomies. Antinomies are apparent contradictions, phrases or ideas that don't seem to go together, but actually they do complement one another to maximizing your production. Number one, you have to give to get. If you want to see fruit, you're going to have to put a seed in the ground. There's going to have to be some planting. There's going to have, I can't just hold on to this precious golden seed that will produce so much fruit. If I don't put the fruit in the if I don't put the seed in the ground, it will not produce fruit. That is just a common principle. But I've got to let go of it. I've got to release my control of it. I've got to release my power over it. I've got to give in order to get. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24 to 25 says it like this. There is one who scatters, yet increases all the more. He scatters, yet he's increasing all the more. And there's one who withholds, he can't let go of it. What is justly due? And yet it only leads to one. The generous man will be prosperous. And he who waters will himself be watered. I want to encourage you. Develop a heart of generosity with your time, with your talents, with your treasures. And watch God give back to you. I'm not saying how He's going to give back to you, but I'll promise you this. You'll never, I've never, and you will never be able to outgive Him. You will never. I challenge you, put it on paper, test God in this. One of those things that he tells us to test him in is in the tithe. Simple. I got an email June 5th from one of our church members. I'll call her, I'll call her name Sarah. And this, I'm going to read to you a portion of this email. It's about five different, five paragraphs. I won't read the whole thing to you. Don't you hear this? We became members of Grace Point Church some time ago and been very reluctant to tithe as our income is stretched very thin with four children in one income. Many of us can probably identify with that. God led us back to Grace Point through a major heartbreak in our family. Family suffered now that we're working to recover from. Our family was, of course, untouchable. I don't know how many of your families you felt untouchable before to this evil of such things as you can suspect we are not at all. I am not sure yet what lessons this has taught our family or even the ridiculous justification I can put to such insanity. And I don't even know what the issue is. Not important. But I can say that God has blessed us through our faithful tithing. This doesn't seem like much, but trust me, that's usually what that night's dinner is. That's what she's trying to say, the amount of money. It's a lot. God's blessings were not, a first, were not first apparent to us. As everything I could do to remain calm in church when I wanted to cry at the sounds of the music or the lesson, each week God gave me the strength to wake up and to go. And each week, my heart grew a little stronger. His message became a little louder. And slowly, I've come to realize the peace and the comfort and the lessons God sends on Sundays. And now through the week, as I study His Word. 
There's so much to this. I wish I could unpack the entire lesson. In closing, I can only say that I've been a skeptic for many years of the power of tithing and can now testify that God is good and He will provide. He has provided the comfort and the slow healing process. My husband and I are exceptionally glad that Grace Point has given us a place to worship and become closer to our Father. I didn't write it. I didn't ask somebody to write it. This is somebody saying, so much in here, but I just want you to hear this. The, the faith of letting go produced blessings, healing, processes that have grown them in amazing ways. You've got to give to get. Number two, you've got to go out to come in. You've got to go out to come in. You won't be around Grace Point very long before you hear the call to go. It's just part of our mantra. I tell people, you're not going to like Grace Point Church, and I've and the people haven't liked Grace Point Church at times, whenever we constantly talk about going. I don't care if you're going to day camp this week and serving there. That is a mission trip. I'll promise you in 100 degree weather, that is a mission trip. But the great thing is, is that Jesus again models for this. He sends his disciples out in Luke chapter 10. Uh, he sends them out two by two. It's a pretty awesome story. You read it for yourself in, in Luke 10. And as they come back, it's beautiful because they come back and they gave testimony to what God did through them. Now hear the connection. They would have never seen God work through them until they went out. You've got to go out to be able to come back with God's stories. So many of us don't have God's stories, don't have works of God in our life because we're living some bleacher, concession stand, nacho-driven church with my cup of joe and that's all I want and a good sermon and a cool band. And what we really need is we need to connect with God. We need to make sure our lives are producing fruit. You got your baseball card there? Look at that baseball card. On the back of that baseball card, I learned to read by the back of baseball cards. All right? You look at the back of that baseball card, you're going to find the numbers of these men producing. These numbers determine their salaries. These numbers determine their place in the Hall of Fame. These numbers determine so much. They're their production numbers. On the back of the card, the front of the card, they look like professional baseball player. You could take the front of any baseball card. You could take a Nolan Ryan. You could take a Hank Aaron. You could take any of these great, great cards, and you could put it next to a no-name card. And on the front, they look the same. It's not until you see the fruit. It's not until you see the results. It's not until you see what's producing on the back that you really know if they're Hall of Fame material. Are you going to be Hall of Fame material? It'll be by not how good you look on the front, but your numbers on the back. You're producing on the back, as Jesus said, your fruit in your life. Lastly, am I enjoying it? Am I enjoying it? You know, are you in the game? Uh, the scorecard that we need to look at is, that, am I connecting, am I producing, and am I enjoying? And really, I, I mean that because... The joy that comes through a Christian faith, the joy that comes from walking with God is amazing. David had his great affair with Bathsheba. Known, well-known affair with Bathsheba. And yet he finds himself a year later in deep agony of his own soul. And what does he pray in Psalm 51 when he's asking his prayer of confession? He says, God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. 
I've lost my joy. I've lost my joy. I want my joy back. Is God enjoying your life? That's, that's one of the questions I want you to ask yourself. When God looks at your life, is He enjoying your life? Because it, it makes the statement in, in the Scriptures. It, it says it, where is it at? It, it's in, uh, it makes this statement in this passage. By, by, uh, by this, my Father is glorified. See, is God smiling at your life? It's a question to ask. Not the second question you ask yourself, are you enjoying your life? Are you enjoying your life? Is it good to be you? Because he says here at the, the last verse of verse 11, he said, these things have I spoken to you. The reason I'm telling you to connect, the reason I'm telling you to produce, the reason I'm telling you to enjoy this life is, is this very reason, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. My question for all of us today is God enjoying your life? Are you enjoying your life? Are you in the game? Are you connecting with God? I close with a story. I enjoyed coaching for the first time. Joshua's baseball team this year. Now, we were horrible, all right? They'll never ask me to be the coach again. We won one game all season. Uh, so I'm not a good coach, I'll tell you that. I enjoyed coaching him, though. I enjoyed watching him. I enjoyed watching him improve. I enjoyed all the elements of it. He enjoyed it, too. Won one game, enjoyed the entire season beautiful because at the end of the season the last game was over we drive home and it's just he and I in the car and we pull into the driveway we pull into the garage it's just he and I sitting and the season's over we've won one game all season and he said dad I miss baseball we just left, left the game he said dad I miss baseball I said we just I miss baseball you know what I did too and the beauty of it was this is it wasn't whether or not I I got the winnings. It wasn't whether or not he made the all-star team. It, it wasn't all that. We just enjoyed baseball. And you know what? I hope you just enjoy life. And I'll tell you this. When you have God's joy in you, your joy will be full. You claim, verse 11. But are you connecting? Are you producing? Do you have the joy of Him in you? Would you bow your heads with me? For so many of us, faith is lost. The excitement, the joy. We're in the concession stands or we're sitting in bleachers. I want to pray for you. And I just want, I want the, the, the band to sing over you. You want to sing? You can sing with them. But I want you to ask yourself. I want you to keep this baseball card with you all week long. It's your card from now and forever. Alright? I want you to keep this card. I want you to ask yourself all week long, put it in place on your computer, on your dashboard. And I want you to ask yourself, am I in the game? Am I connecting? Am I producing? Do I have the joy that comes through, through just enjoying a relationship with Jesus? If you can't answer that wholeheartedly, I pray that you'll quit setting the bleachers. You'll quit standing in right field with your glove off you'll start playing. Father God, we ask that we would have that relationship with you. And if anybody here does not, Lord, you would help them to connect with you now. Lord, this is, this is a time we want you to work. It's a time we want you to heal. It's a time you, we want you to draw us closer.
the time we want you to prune away so that we can bear fruit, so that we can enjoy life and enjoy you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Just remain with your heads bowed. You can just sing with the